Good morning, everyone. It is Sunday, January the 31st, 2021. It is currently 11, 11 a.m. Central Time, and it's time for, well, our, our morning worship service. I got to pull the microphone up a little closer to me. It was halfway across the table. So good morning, everyone. I'm, I'm getting ready to take a drink of water. I apologize, but I, I, I've been here a long time this morning, and I, I was starving, so I was trying to eat something right before I went on the air. So I have to take a drink of water, all right? Another drink of water. Good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. To everyone listening, remember, if you if I ask any questions and I need your answers, please use this Spreaker app to chat because that's what I'm going to be looking at. Use the Spreaker app to chat. Uh, just remember, uh, you go. To, uh, we're, uh, obviously, you know where we are. We're under VBC. Just click on the program. You'll see the name of the program. You'll see the artwork, the name of the program. It'll see VBC, and right under that, you'll see the little icons. Tap on the little chat icon. And then you can, uh, for your answer, questions, thoughts. I was just answering a question just a minute ago. Uh, someone sent me a question in regards to, give me one second here. Someone just sent me a question. Uh, someone sent me a question in regards to uh, basically the Trinity. It, it, uh, the, the, the question is, uh, today you mentioned God is a spirit, then you have the Holy Spirit, then you have the Spirit of God, you see the problem. So you have three completely different spirits. Is this the same argument Christians will try to use as three in one? All right, so um, obviously that may be someone who rejects uh, the doctrine of the Trinity. You never know for sure when you get it, uh, an email. Uh, so I tried to respond explaining what we mean by God as a spirit. Understand, uh, I tried to explain I tried my best to explain the doctrine of the Trinity as quickly as I could, and then I tried. I sent them a link to the Athanasian Creed. Uh, so, um, just we'll have to see how that plays out. But yeah, I just received that uh, right after uh, we got off the air for Sunday school. So hopefully, it will be beneficial. Um, okay, so hopefully, hopefully this will uh, all be beneficial, and uh, we we can. Well, we'll see. I'm just making sure that there's no other comments. Okay, good. We go. Good to go. All right. So if you need a chat, that's where the chat uh, under on the Spreaker, Spreaker app, we're going to try to definitely use that. It just, I think it, uh, it makes it easier for me because when I'm looking at my notes and I'm looking at things, I don't have to then try to go back to the Spreaker app. I can just look over here to my left and see comments and answers. So that's what we're going to do. Now, this morning, how are we going to approach it this morning? This morning is going to be one of those situations where we may, this may end more with a lot of questions and a lot of things I'm going to challenge you to look up. This may be done more like one of my Bible study exercises, which I, I'm still, I'm going to continue to do those. I, I Again, I don't know, I don't know what the response or the reaction to the Bible study exercises are necessarily within the members of Victory Baptist Church. Uh, but I'm going to continue doing those because I try to do a, about 60, 70% of the work. And then I'm trying to give you something that you can look up and you can study because I'm, I'm, I'm just, we, the church is in desperate need, not, not just this church, every church, desperate need of people getting back to meaningful, in-depth Bible study so that they can get a biblical worldview because we, the church and Christians have been so infiltrated with an unbiblical uh, worldview that it is, it, yeah, we've got to work against it and we got to fight against it. Yes, I do see it, Seth. I do see it. So uh, 
Seth just sent a message. Yes, I see it. And anybody else want to send a message, uh, feel free to do so. So yes, you can chat with me via Spreaker. And it makes it so simple because I just look over and there it is. I don't even have to pick up my iPad. I don't even have to look at it. So I, I think this is... Uh, and it may be easier for you as well. Maybe you don't have to go to a different app to chat. So, well, you can you can tell me your thoughts and give me your idea. So, all right, here we go. This morning, we're going to return back to the book of Romans. And we're going to look at a section. And one one part of me wants to say, hey, I, I think I think this section is 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 easier, but I think that this section could be utilized to make an argument against the way we interpreted the previous section. All right. And so I, uh, you know how, what I like to do, I like to be fair. It, when, when I, when I think that, uh, when I think we have a good argument, I'm going to make the good argument. But when I think there may be flaws in an argument, I'm going to offer that as well. And just remember, we have offered some I mean, radically different interpretations to sections of Romans that go against pretty much everyone, right? Now, they go against what, I, this is what I think we have done throughout our study of the book of Romans. I think I've offered interpretations that go against most, the majority of interpretations that are out there, but they don't go against the way those Christians act and, and the reality that they acknowledge. Because there's so much of this, we sell Christianity like, hey, you become a Christian and boom, you now you're free. You don't ever have to sin. You don't ever have to do this. You have freedom. But every Christian who makes that claim, they realize they sin all the time. They realize all the people sin around them all the time. And for some reason, they don't ever become bothered by the inconsistency between what they claim and what they see. I don't know how it doesn't bother them. I doesn't know. I don't know how it doesn't drive them to drinking and to the insane asylum. But some some way, they're able to hold these two incompatible realities in their brain at the same time. Which makes me worried that Christian that that well to me it doesn't make me worried. It proves to me. That Christianity doesn't offer us any great, doesn't make us smarter, doesn't make us understand things better, because if it did, you wouldn't have Christians walking around holding two incompatible truths at the same time in their brain, because it just doesn't work. You can't sit there and say, hey, now you're a Christian, you're set free, you're no longer in bondage to sin, you're free to serve God, now you can, you don't ever have to sin again. Oh, but you're going to sin over and 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 over. And I can't really explain why other than you just want to. And I guess and I guess God can't even give us the want to to not want to because we keep wanting to. And yeah, none of it makes any sense. So I I keep challenging those interpretations. But we come to a section where someone could possibly try to use it and say, wait a minute, based on what you said on the same the previous section, does that carry over to this section? Let's see if that holds true. So Book of Romans chapter 8. Let's remind ourselves quickly. Let's work through this quickly and get us right where we need to be. All right. Romans chapter 8. Remember in Romans chapter 7, Paul clearly identifies that we've got a major problem. We got a major problem. We are sinners. Uh, that The law of God is, is, is cannot save us. The law of God cannot change us. The law of God actually activates more more rebellion and act, even activates more ungodliness. 
Paul then identifies his own problem, the things he wants to do. For some reason, he can't do them. And the things he doesn't want to do, he, he, he ends up doing those things. So the things he doesn't want to do, he does. The things he wants to do, he doesn't do. All of those problems that Paul clearly articulated in Romans chapter 7. He then talks about, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of this death? Then he, in, in Romans 7, 25, he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, so when with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Again, that's still, to, to me, I think Romans 7.25 is so critical to interpreting Romans 8. Paul still seems to be explaining that Jesus Christ is the answer. Jesus Christ is the hope for deliverance. But look, look what he says. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, so that with the, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. It still seems to be identifying that in his brain, in his mind, he wants the law of God. He wants to serve the law of God, but in his flesh, he's serving the law of sin. How, how do we understand this inconsistency? The inconsistency to me is explained by the fact that the sinful nature is still inside of us. And that we become a Christian, yeah, now there's a desire to serve God. There's a desire to please God, but the other is always present. And I think this also can be explained through the, we can call this the inconsistency or the duality of the Christian experience. My position before God versus my practice. My position, I'm perfect, I'm holy, I'm obedient, I'm forgiven. And practice, I fail, I'm a failure, I'm a sinner. I, I, I don't do right. I, I don't do the things I want to do, the things I don't want to do. Those are the things I end up doing. I end up sinning over and over and over again. That seems to be the only way to understand all of that, right? But seven really explains the problem. But Romans eight offers us this wonderful news that therefore, therefore, uh, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Now, again, how is there no condemnation in Christ? The only way I can explain that is because we are in Christ in our position. Now, remember, we talked about that phrase, who walk uh, not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Most translations does not have that there. Some try to argue how do you know there, there's no condemnation? How do you know you're one of those uh, individuals who is in Christ and there's no condemnation? Well, how do you know that? Look at your life. If you are, if you are uh, walking, uh, if you're walking after the flesh, then you're not, you're not in Christ. Therefore, there's condemnation. If you're not walking after the spirit, and again, if you do that, that to me destroys the whole meaning of the text. Didn't Paul in chapter seven just make an argument that in, that with his flesh, he uh, serves the, the the law of sin. Didn't he just make that argument in Romans seven twenty five? Didn't Paul just make the argument that the things he wants to do he doesn't do, and the things he doesn't want to do those are the things he do he does? Didn't he not just make that argument in chapter seven? So if you come to chapter eight and say, okay, how do you know that there's therefore now no condemnation? Well, you're in Christ Jesus. Okay, well, how do I know I'm in Christ Jesus? Well, you walk after the Spirit, not after the flesh. All right, well, how, what does that look like? Who walks after the Spirit in any continual basis? Constantly, we walk after the flesh. Constantly, we are, 
we have a desire for the things of the flesh, a love for the things of the fl- flesh. We're drawn to the things of flesh. We serve the things of the flesh. We're mindful of that. That is what we tend to do over and over and over again, unless you somehow convince yourself that, nope, I walked after the spirit. I walk after the spirit. I don't, I've never walked after the things of the flesh. You can pretend, but pretending is not, uh, is not the way you should be living as a Christian. It shouldn't be a, a, a life of pretend. It should be a life of honesty that you are still a sinner. So let's go to chapter eight, verse two. For the law of the spirit of, uh, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ hath made me free from the law of sin and death. I agree with that. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. It's made me free from the law of sin and death in Christ Jesus in my position. I'm free from this. I don't, the law cannot condemn me. The law does cannot do anything because in Christ, I am perfect. In Christ, I'm a law keeper. It's all been kept for me. Verse three, for what the law could not do, the law couldn't do anything. It was weak through the flesh. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for the sin condemned sin in the flesh. It's all been condemned and taken care of in Christ. Verse four, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. How is it fulfilled in us? Remember, some believe, yeah, now that you're saved, you can fulfill the righteousness of the law in your actions. I reject that. No, you cannot. You'll never fulfill the righteousness of the law in your actions or in your thoughts or in your desires or in your motivations. You're never going to. It's fulfilled in me in Christ Jesus. And I walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. I walk not after the, the, I may not walk after the flesh in my mind and my position. I may walk after the spirit in my mind and my position, but in my practice, I, I do it over and over and over again, just like you. Then verses five through eight, we offered some contrast. Does everybody remember the contrast? Does everyone remember the contrast? You can look at your notes right now if you need to look at your notes and look at your and look at the contrast. All right. All right. Here we go. Look at if you. uh, Yes. Well, there I'll just go through the contrast. Uh, I was going to sit here and review all of them, but I'll just I'm just going to read them instead of working, uh, trying to reteach all of them. Just remember, there was a number of contrasts we looked at. And remember, this this discussion about the contrast really comes down to this. Is this contrasting saved versus lost? Or is it contrasting as a Christian, you can be spiritual or you can be carnal? What, 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 what is it contrasting? I remember most commentaries said, oh, this is go, these, these contrasts provide a contrast between those who are saved and those who are not saved. And again, how do you know you're saved? Based not on what Christ did, but based on what you do. That's how these commentaries handled it over and over and over again. I'm not going to pull up all of my notes and go back through it. I could have you list out the contrast to see if you remember, but I'm just going to count that they're there, that you have them there. But here we go. Verse five, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. All right, now, what they do with this contrast, many com- most commentaries is like, hey, now, how do you know you're really saved? How do you know? How do you know there, there, there's no condemnation? How do you know 
Uh, how is that righteousness going to be fulfilled in you? How can that righteousness be fulfilled in you by what you do? Because now that you are a Christian, you do not mind the things of the flesh. You mind the things of the spirit. Well, again, if you say that that's a contrast between a Christian and a lost person, how is that? Now, I guess you could say it's if you want to make it a contrast between the uh I don't know how you make this a contrast between a Christian and a non-Christian. I guess if you make this a contrast between a Christian and a non-Christian, you would say we mind the things of the spirit and our position, but I, that doesn't even work. I think the point is, is that that there are those who mind the things of the flesh and there are those who mind the things of the spirit. That That is just the, case, the, reality, it, it, the reality of it. And there are professing Christians who do mind the things of the flesh. There are, when Peter denied Jesus three times, he was clearly minding the things of the flesh because he was worried about his own safety and his own life. He wasn't worried about the things of the spirit. He's worried about the things of the flesh. Was, did that mean that he was lost? Did that mean he become lost? Every time you mind the things of the flesh, you become lost. You have to get saved again. Verse six, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Yeah, to be carnally minded is death. But let me make it very clear. In 1 Corinthians, Paul, writing to professing believers, referred to them as carnal, as babes in Christ, meaning that Christians can be carnal. You don't say carnal babe in Christ if you believe carnal doesn't, it, it means you're lost. No, that means that you can be a babe in Christ and you can be carnal. But there, there, I think there's, there are those who are carnally minded and those who are spiritually minded. The thing with being carnally minded, it's going to bring about pain and sickness, it, it bring, or sickness, spiritually, spiritual sickness. It's going to bring about pain, spiritual sickness. It's going to bring about, in a sense, death, destruction. It, it brings about everything negative. All right. Verse seven. Uh, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither uh, indeed can be. So then that, so them, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Now I could work through and uh, articulate those, those contrasts a little different, but we won't, we won't go back through all of that. The bottom line is all of that gives these contrasts, right? The contrast between, um, those who mind the things of the flesh versus the things of the spirit. It, it, it shows you the difference between death and life. Uh, the, to be carnally minded is death, but spiritually minded is life and peace. Um, uh, the carnal mind is at enmity with God. It cannot even be subject. Uh, it, basically, there's a war with God. You're either at war with God or you're not war with God. There's this contrast, this idea of pleasing God or pleasing self. So them that are in the flesh cannot please God. Those that are in the flesh cannot please God. Well, that is true. Those that are in the flesh cannot please God and we can never please God in and of ourselves and in our flesh because we can only please God in our position in Christ. So there's all of those contrasts. We could work all the way back through it, but I'm not gonna go and review everything. Now, that brings us to verse nine. Now, here's the key. We made the argument that those contrasts are a contrast between basically two kinds of Christians. Those Christians who still struggle and still Go after the flesh, which is what we do, and 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 Christians who are striving to not be carnally minded, to to trying to think, to to try to follow after God. But it's not a contrast between the saved. This, in other words, these contrasts do not provide a test to determine if you're saved. 
Hey, how do you know there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus? Well, look at how you live. How you live will determine if there's no condemnation. Now, what determines that there's no condemnation is because I'm in Christ Jesus. If I'm looking for this contrast to determine if I'm saved or if I'm not saved, then I don't know. Then, then, then Romans 7 this this situation where Paul is seems to be reaching the end of his rope and he doesn't know what to do. Romans eight would only create the same situation because Paul would look at himself over and over and over again and go, wait a minute, I'm too carnally minded. I don't know if I'm saved, man. You know, I, my, 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 I, I tend to serve self and try to please self more than I please God. Oh, I don't know if I'm saved. You know what? My mind constantly is at enmity with God. I'm constantly at war with God in my thoughts. I don't know if I'm saved. You would spend your life never thinking you're saved. There is a contrast between the Christianity that we often experience and the Christianity we should strive for. We should strive to please God. We should strive to be spiritually minded. We should strive to not be at war with God in our thinking. We should strive for that because the Christian life is simply trying to put into practice what is true positionally. All right, now, we said all of that. Now, here's the question. How does that interpretation work when we get to verse 9, which clearly seems to go a different direction. Look at what happens in verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Now, in verse 9, there does seem to be a contrast, a very stark contrast. And this contrast clearly has to do with those who are saved and those who are not saved. But the distinguishing factor between those who are saved and not saved is the presence of the Spirit of God. If you have the Spirit of God, if you have the Holy Spirit, if you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, then you, listen, then you are saved. If you do not have the Holy Spirit, you are not saved. This seems to have nothing to do with how I live. This seems to have something to do with the reality that the Holy Spirit now indwells me. I am now the temple of the Spirit of God. I am now sealed with the Spirit of God. Now, is the fact that they add the contrast in verse 9 that clearly seems to show a distinction between the saved and the lost, does that call into question all of the previous contrast? Some will say, yeah, see, all of those other ones was a contrast between where, where we need to interpret them as being a, an interpretation between the saved and the lost. Again, I will argue, if you make the previous an interpret a, a contrast between saved and lost, you're, you're going to basically live your whole life thinking you're lost because you never are going to fulfill those in any, anything close to what you pretend that you are. You constantly go after the flesh. You constantly want to please the flesh. You constantly want to please yourself. That is just truth. I think that he offers this kind of contrast, and then he says a very important thing. And I think this is very important. Verse 9, we are not in the flesh. How are we not in the flesh? How are we not in the flesh? How are we not in the flesh? That, that's a question you have to ask yourself. The text says we're not in the flesh. How am I not in the flesh? It has to be referring to my position. I'm not in the flesh in my position because in practice, I'm in the flesh. 
I have a sinful nature, unless you're going to argue for the eradication of the old nature, which is just foolish to do so. It, it doesn't it doesn't work. We are not in the flesh. We are in the spirit. How are we in the spirit? We are in the spirit because the spirit of God dwells in us. And if we do not have the spirit, we are not his. Positionally, think about it this way. If we go back through those contrasts, positionally, they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. I am positionally, I do mind the things of the spirit. And my, a part of me does mind the things of the spirit, but in my flesh, I'm still going to long for the flesh, desire for the flesh. So, so positionally, I can say dogmatically, I mind the things of the spirit. I can acknowledge that as a Christian, there is that desire to follow it, but I'm not going to do it perfectly. My hope has to be in something else. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Yes, it is true when I'm carnally minded, that doesn't bring any life and peace. That brings nothing but pain, suffering. It, it brings that, that all, all it brings. But when am I, when am I spiritually minded? I'm spiritually minded first in my position and there, the, whatever spiritual mind is there, the other is, is there just as well. Verse uh, uh, seven, to be carnally minded is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither it can be. Verse eight, so then that them that are in the flesh cannot please God. I agree, those that are in the flesh cannot please God. And look at verse nine, you're not in the flesh. If in the flesh I cannot please God, well, then my only hope is to not be in the flesh. How am I not in the flesh? I, I don't think there's any other way to get around it. I am not in the flesh because of my position. I am not in the flesh because I am in Christ Jesus and his spirit is in me. I am sealed. I am the child of God dwelt with the Holy Spirit. Practically, the flesh is still there. I don't, I don't know how you can get around that by, by not understanding this from a positional perspective. All right. So he wants us to understand what it means that we are now in the spirit. The spirit is in us or, or and we're in the spirit as, as, as we state it this way. We're not in the flesh. We are in the spirit. What does life in the spirit look like? What does life in the spirit look like? Okay. So let's work through this. All right. But we are not in the flesh, but we are in the spirit. If, if that be the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. If we don't have the Holy Spirit, we're not saved. That, that is just a fact. But if we have the Holy Spirit, what should that look like? Let's look at verse 10. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Now, this seems to be adding another contrast. This seems to be adding another contrast. If Christ is in us, if Christ is in us, if we're dwelt by Christ through the, through the Holy Spirit, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. It seems to acknowledge that my body ultimately is dead. It's still subject to sin. Isn't that what Paul said in Romans 7, 25? But with the... Uh, I, I, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Is that not what Paul seeming to acknowledge that my body is, is still dead to sin? My body is still subject to sin. My body, my body is still going to physically die. My body is still going to perish. Let's, let's consider, 
Uh, let's consider Romans chapter eight, verse uh, Romans chapter eight, verse ten. Let's read it from a different translation. Romans chapter eight, verse ten. Romans chapter eight, verse ten. Let's look at it. Romans eight ten. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. Your body is going to die. Your body is subject to death. Your body is going to break down, fall apart. It's going to get weak until finally you are dead. That is true. But even though that is true, you have the spirit of God in you. And the spirit of God in you is is life because of righteousness. What? The spirit is in me and I have the righteousness of Christ imputed to me. And because of that, even though, even though my body is subject to death, I'm going to live. I, the, the contrast is the reality of what my, this to me is so key in the, in the interpretation of this entire section. I'm still, my body is subject to death. It's still subject to sin. But there's a different reality. The reality is my life in the, in the Holy Spirit. I am indwelt with the Holy Spirit. I am in Christ Jesus. Therefore, there is righteousness. Therefore, there is life even where death is present. There is righteousness even where sin is present. There is life even where death is present. Even though if, if, five, if, if on the way home here, whenever I leave here in a few minutes, I'm driving and I get hit by a truck and I'm laying on the side of the road, slowly the life's you know, slipping out of my body and I'm bleeding to death and I get ready to draw my last breath, and there's still life. Physically, there's death, but there's still life because I'm in Christ. The spirit is in me. I am sealed until the day of redemption. And even though I may, I will sin today, just like you will, there is still righteousness. I, I think that, that, that if that doesn't draw the, if that doesn't help us understand, if Christ is in me, the body is dead because of sin. It's still subject to death because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. Life and righteousness exist even though there is death and sin present. Death and sin present in my physical physical body, but righteousness and life because of the spirit of God and me being in Christ and Christ being in me. If, if that makes sense, please, please let me know. Let's look at verse 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Again, here's the contrast. My, my body is going to die, but the spiritual reality, the truth is Christ will ultimately bring about that resurrection. But what will he bring forth? A glorified body, a transformed body. He's going to have to transform it. He's going to have to change it or it would still it would still be subject to death and to sickness and decay and sin. There's these two there's this physical reality. The physical reality is I'm a sinner and my body gets sick and it's going to die. There's there's a spiritual reality. The spiritual reality, there's life even though my body's going to die. There's going to be resurrection, there's life and there's righteousness even though I'm a sinner. I think that's how we have to understand these contrasts. On one hand, this is the truth. 
I, I'm, I, I, I still lust after the flesh, desire the things of the flesh, please. So, but on this other side, there's these things that are true because of my position in Christ Jesus, because of what Christ did for me. Verse 12, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live. Uh, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. Now, let's, I'm going to read Romans 8.12. And a different translation. I'm going to read Romans 8.12. And a different translation. Give me one second. Romans chapter 8, verse 12. Romans 8.12, we read this. Therefore, brethren, uh, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. We do have an obligation, but it's not to live to the flesh. What's our obligation to? Our obligation is to God. Our obligation is to the spirit. Because listen, I want to make it very clear. Here's the reality. In my body, in my flesh, there's two things that are true about my body. There's two two things that are true about my practical existence. Death and sin. However, at that very same time, there are two spiritual realities that even though my body is getting weak and I'm going to die, there is life, eternal life. That body does not change that. That body does not in any way eliminate the eternal, that body dying doesn't change that. And guess what else is true? There is righteousness. There is, there is, there is obedience to God's law. There's a love for God's law. There's a, there's a, 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 an obedience. There's a holiness all because I'm in Christ and the spirit is in me. That, that, that I, I think we have to understand it that way. And therefore we, we're not debtors to the flesh. We, we the flesh should not be the issue anymore. We're not serving the flesh. Verse 13. For if ye live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Now, verse 13 becomes a little bit more problematic. So if we live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Now, I think the point is this. The the spirit being present is why I'm going to live. Remember, if I don't have the spirit of God, I'm none of his. But if I have the spirit of God, then through the spirit, I begin to mortify the deeds of the body. I begin to fight. I begin to try to kill the deeds of the body through the Holy Spirit. And, and I'm going to live because of the Holy Spirit. If I live after the flesh, I'm going to die. If, if my entire existence is in the flesh, if that's my entire existence, I'm in the flesh, I'm flesh, there's no spirit in me, I will ultimately die because all, all, all of our bodies will die. And that will be the end of life because eternity in hell is called eternal death. It's not called eternal life. So if I don't have the spirit, death is the key. If I have the spirit, then through the spirit, I begin to mortify those deeds. I begin to fight against them. Not, I'm not going to ever be victorious in the flesh, but then that's a sign of life. I think it's just going through that. That And then verse 14, for as many who are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Again, it's the, uh, the, the, that life in the spirit is I'm being led by the spirit of God. Now we would say we're led by the spirit of God through the word of God, through the word of God. So let's go through this. What does life in the spirit look like? Let's go through this. All right. Uh, First, life in the spirit is a guarantee. Uh, Life in the spirit means that I have eternal life. 
all right? Because if, if, with, if I don't have the Spirit, then I'm not a Christian. So life in the Spirit means eternal life. Life in the Spirit means that even though my body's going to die, even though my body's going to die, I have life. And even though I'm a sinner, I have righteousness. Because life in the Spirit means I have life and I have righteousness because I'm in Christ Jesus and the Spirit is in me. Right? I think that is very clear. Next, life in the Spirit means I'm not indebted to the flesh. I'm not there to try to please the flesh and serve the flesh because I have the Spirit in me. Next, uh, that if that if uh, life in the Spirit means I'm living a life where I'm trying to mortify the deeds of the body. I'm trying to mortify. I'm fighting against the deeds of the body. That's life in the Spirit is I'm trying to mortify those deeds. I'm trying to live, I'm trying to live out in practice what is true positionally. And that if I, a life in the Spirit is being led by the Spirit of God. I allow the Spirit of God to lead me through the Word of God. That is what life in the Spirit looks like. Life in the Spirit is trying to live out in the flesh what is true positionally. There, that is the best I can do to try to explain that. All right, and I'm, I'm going to stop right there. Okay, if you have any questions. I, and and I, I, I could ask you to look some things up, but I'm not. I'm just gonna leave that. I'm just gonna, in a sense... I just, in a sense, I just threw that out, and, and now it's up to you. It, uh, how how much you care, it, it will it will manifest if you care or if you don't care by how much thought you give to everything we just said. Now I know there's some difficulty there trying to make that all work. I understand there's difficulty, but please understand, if you if you find difficulty in my interpretation, the only other interpretation is you start looking at all of this as you start creating that list. Hey, how do you know you're saved? You do this, you do this, you do this, you do, then you know you're saved. Well, then it just, I don't see how you won't be able to say, praise God, there's no condemnation for me in Christ Jesus. No, you'll spend all your time going, I don't know if I'm in Christ Jesus. I don't know if I'm in Christ Jesus because I keep minding the things of the flesh. I keep walking after the things of the flesh. My mind continues to be at war with the things of God. I'm not saved. I'm not saved. All you'll do is by the time you're done with Romans 8 is come to the conclusion you're not saved. That cannot be the way to interpret Romans 8. And I know most Christians don't read it. They'll just say, hey, this proves whether you're saved or not saved. And everybody in the church says, amen. I'm saved. Those people out there are the ones who are not saved, okay? All right, good. Someone said very helpful. I hope it was very helpful. I hope, I hope. I, I, don't, think, I don't think it's perfect. I don't think it's, make, make, make it very clear. I don't think it's perfect, but I don't think there's a perfect interpretation to be had. Let me, I'm gonna state this one more time just to make sure I'm as clear as I can be here, all right? This is very important. Your options of interpretation are one, basically, Paul says, hey, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And everybody says, amen. And then he says, but if you, the only way you know, if you can say that you're, there's no condemnation anymore, the only way you can grab onto the fact that you're not condemned anymore is you have to meet the following criteria. Well, any honest person who looks at the criteria laid out in the rest of Romans 8 and looks at all of these contrast and all of these discussions, you're going to have to be honest with yourself and say, I, I don't fulfill that. I don't fulfill that. So then you have to start playing some game. Well, you're not going to do it perfectly, but you'll do it 60% of the time, or you'll do it 70% of the time. Nobody has an explanation of, of how you know. If you really care, 
If you go with that interpretation and you really care, I think you end up Luther sitting in a confessional booth for five hours confessing everything you've done. And about the second you leave the confession booth, you turn back around and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I just remembered something else. But the Christians who believe that interpretation don't live that way. Because what they do is like, look at us. We're better than all those bad people out in the world. This is this shows that they're not saved. But everyone inside the church, we're saved. Even though the church is filled with backbiting, gossip, bitterness, hatred, you know, people doing things through strife and vainglory, church splits, lying, fornication, adultery, pornography. Hey, but we're good. We're good. We're good. Yeah, because you don't want to acknowledge the reality. I, I just think we have to look at the reality and go, we don't. If that is the criteria, then nobody is saved. So my interpretation is there's a, there's, a, there's a contrast. The contrast is life in the spirit versus life in the flesh. Life in the flesh, that's, the real, that's our physical reality. But that physical reality is contrasted with life in the spirit. And guess what happens with life in the spirit? Christ, I'm indwelt with the Holy Spirit. I'm in the Holy, uh, the, I'm in Christ. Christ is in me. And guess what? Even with, though the reality of physical death is still there, why? Because I'm in the body. So I'm going to die. Life is present. Guess what? Righteousness is present, even though I'm in a body that's still going to sin. Doesn't mean we ignore sin. Because what should we do as life in the spirit? We should then strive to mortify the deeds of the flesh. But we are, that's, that's a ongoing process where we struggle, but you can't go, hmm, he seems to be mortifying at a 60% rate. He seems to be mortifying at a 30% rate. Well, I don't think you're saved. I don't think it's designed to do that. I think it's designed to show that the life in the spirit, life in the spirit sets up a reality that cannot always be perceived by looking at the body. The body is subject to death. Look, you look at someone, you look at, uh, you go to, uh, uh, you know, a, a hospital where there's someone laying in there fighting for their next breath. You look at that, and you're like, there's no life there. They're about to die. That's it. Go, go look, go to a morgue and, and, and look at a corpse. You're like, there's no life. No, there's life. Not there, but the person is very much alive. If they're a Christian, they're alive in the presence of God. So the body is subject to death, but there's still life. The body is subject to sin, but there's still righteousness because of my position. That is the only way I can explain that. And hopefully, hopefully it is helpful and hopefully it is beneficial. All right, I'll stop right there, right? Everyone have a great day. Hopefully all the things that we did today were beneficial. We covered a lot of things. We discussed a lot of things. It looks like um, my answer to the Trinity let me pull up this email really quick. Um, I, I don't think I answered the person very, I don't think they liked my answer. Um, okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, this person stated this, uh, the wages of sin is death. We are told repeatedly Jesus died for our sins, yet Christ knew no sin. So how on earth could he die? In the same breath, he is 100% God and 100% fully man, yet the flesh part was able to die, so we are taught. Yet Jesus was God incarnate. You cannot kill God. You see the big problem Christians have in trying to explain this? Mark 10, 18, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Not God in three persons, not three in essence, nature, or whatever we have been taught, God alone. We have to do mental gymnastics to defend this position. 
We try to beat around this point, but it is what it is. Clearly, this is someone who denies the doctrine of the Trinity. They may even deny the hypostatic union. They may even deny uh, the deity of Jesus Christ. So this sounds like uh, maybe I'm receiving an email from someone who's a Jehovah's Witness. Maybe. Um, maybe. So this is interesting. Uh, it's, not, it's not a question about Romans 8. It's not a question about Romans 8, uh, but uh, yeah. So I got to figure out, they didn't, obviously they didn't respond to the Athanasian Creed. Uh, they, they left out. And I, and, and you know what? I will agree. I will agree that, that, that we do have to play a little mental gymnastics because it's a very difficult doctrine to articulate. But if I throw out that, then what do I end up with, right? God the Father, and I'm just going to kind of answer this here. God the Father is clearly God, Right. Now look at Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. How do I get around that? How do I get around that Jesus created everything? How do I uh, get around the fact that Jesus is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end? How do I get around from the fact that Jesus accepted worship? How do I get around the fact that the Jews understood that he claimed to be God and made himself equal with God? That's why they wanted him dead. Well, if he was making himself equal with God, then Jesus is not a good person. He's a blasphemer. So if Jesus, if the Bible gives him, and then it speaks of the one born in Bethlehem as being from everlasting, if it assigns the qualities and attributes of God to Jesus, and at the same time articulates and gives those attributes to God the Father, and then the Holy Spirit is called holy, attribute of God, obviously is omnipresent. Holy Spirit clearly gives the idea of being eternal, well, then you've got either three gods. You got to do mental gymnastics to get around that as well. You got you you can say we have to do mental gymnastics to get to one God coexisting as three distinct persons, co-equal and co-eternal. But if you throw that out, you got to get around mental. You got to do mental gymnastics to to try to say Jesus didn't have any attributes of God, and yet he's he's not. You know, I, I guess I guess he's still is he a God? Is he good? Was he was? Or, or I, I don't know what, or, I, say, I wonder if this is modalist, that it's one God manifesting himself in three different ways. I wonder if, if what I got is an email from a modalist. That would make some sense. So, all right, I'll stop right there. Um, that's, that's, the, that's the message I got. So I thought it was going to be on Romans 8, but it's on that. So but Romans 8, Romans 8 is probably more, Romans 8 is about as complicated as trying to figure that out. So there we have it. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. For, uh, for everyone in the church, please pray for Stacy. Appendicitis, Tuesday, surgery, get it removed. Um, if anything happens, uh, then obviously that can, uh, well, I won't, I possibly wouldn't be here uh, this evening. So we'll see. My goal this, uh, for, t- I'm going to go home, eat, Recharge uh, up the uh, I, the iPad and the laptop that's about to die, and uh, then I'll come back this afternoon, do as much teaching as I can, and then uh, it'll be there waiting for you uh, this evening. So just pray uh, that uh, that everything goes well uh, for Stacy and that uh, she's okay. If you didn't know about the situation, so just keep that in mind. All right, that's the that's the goal. Um, if you have any questions or comments. Email me newsif at yahoo.com. Everyone have a great day. God bless.